This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of scapular fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Scapular fractures are an uncommon fracture pattern associated with high-energy trauma. They have a 2 to 5% associated mortality rate and are usually associated with pulmonary or head injuries and are also associated with an increased injury severity score. As far as the epidemiology, scapular fractures have an incidence of less than 1% of all fractures. As far as location, 50% of scapular fractures involve the body and the spine. Scapular fractures have associated injuries in 80 to 90% of cases. As far as associated orthopedic injuries, these include rib fractures in 52% of patients, an ipsilateral clavicle fracture in 25% of patients, a spine fracture in 29% of patients, and a brachial plexus injury in 5% of patients. Keep in mind that 75% of brachial plexus injuries resolve. As far as associated medical injuries with scapular fractures, these include pulmonary injury, pneumothorax in 32% of cases, pulmonary contusion in 41% of cases, head injury in 34% of cases, and vascular injury in 11% of cases. As far as the classification of scapular fractures, the classification is based on the location of the fracture and includes coracoid fractures, acromial fractures, glenoid fractures, scapular neck fractures, scapular body fractures, and scapular thoracic dissociation. With respect to scapular neck fractures, make sure to look for an associated AC joint separation or a clavicle fracture. This is known as a floating shoulder. With respect to scapular body fractures, these are described based on anatomic location. With respect to specific types of scapular fracture classification systems, the ones to know are the coracoid fracture classification, the acromial fracture classification, and the Eidberg classification of glenoid fractures. The coracoid fracture classification has two types. Type 1 is a fracture occurring proximal to the coracoclavicular ligament, and type 2 is a fracture that occurs towards the tip of the coracoid. Moving on to the acromial fracture classification, this is divided into three types. Type 1 is a non-displaced or minimally displaced fracture. Type 2 is a displaced fracture but does not compromise the subacromial space. And type 3 is displaced and compromises the subacromial space. The Eidberg classification of glenoid fractures is divided into six types. Type 1 is divided into two subtypes, type 1A, which is an anterior rim fracture, and type 1B, which is a posterior rim fracture. Type 2 is a fracture line through the glenoid fossa exiting the scapula laterally. Type 3 is a fracture line through the glenoid fossa that exits the scapula superiorly. Type 4 is a fracture line through the glenoid fossa that exits the scapula medially. Type 5 is subdivided into three subtypes. Type 5A is a combination of types 2 and 4. Type 5B is a combination of types 3 and 4. And type 5C is a combination of types 2, 3, and 4. And finally, type 6 is described as severe comminution. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a true AP, a scapular Y, and an axillary lateral view. A CT scan is indicated for intraarticular fractures, significant displacement, and keep in mind that a three-dimensional reconstruction is useful. As far as treatment for scapular fractures, this can be either non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves a sling for two weeks, followed by early motion. This is indicated for a vast majority of scapular fractures, as 90% are minimally displaced and acceptably aligned. As far as outcomes of non-operative management, there's typically union at six weeks, and you can expect no functional deficits. Operative options include open reduction and internal fixation. This is indicated for glenohumeral instability, a displaced scapula neck fracture, an open fracture, loss of rotator cuff function, 
and a coracoid fracture with greater than one centimeter of displacement. With respect to glenohumeral instability, this refers to greater than 25% glenoid involvement with subluxation of the humerus, greater than 5 millimeters of glenoid articular surface step-off or a major gap, and excessive medialization of the glenoid. A displaced scapular neck fracture corresponds with greater than 40 degrees angulation or 1 centimeter translation. As far as outcomes of open reduction and internal fixation, 70% have good to excellent results with operative treatment. As far as the surgical technique for an open reduction internal fixation of the scapula, the approach is based on fracture location, but the Judea approach is the most common, and it utilizes the internervous plane between the infraspinatus, which again is innervated by the suprascapular nerve, and the teres minor, which is innervated by the axillary nerve. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 30-year-old male is involved in a motor vehicle collision and sustains a scapular fracture. In patients with scapular fractures, what other fracture is most commonly observed? And the choices are 1. Spine fracture, 2. Rib fracture, 3. Clavicle fracture, 4. Humerus fracture, and 5. Pelvic fracture. The correct answer to this question is 2. Rib fracture. So rib fractures are the most commonly observed fractures associated with scapular fractures. Scapular fractures are associated with high-energy trauma, with motor vehicle collisions being a common mechanism of injury. These fractures are also associated with increased injury severity scores, and therefore clinicians need to be cognizant of concomitant injuries. In addition to associated orthopedic injuries, pulmonary injuries, for example contusions, hemothorax, and pneumothorax, as well as head injuries, are associated with scapular fractures. A CT chest should be considered in patients with scapular fractures to best visualize associated rib fractures and pulmonary injuries. Baldwin et al. conducted a retrospective case control analysis using the U.S. National Trauma Database that included 9,453 scapular fractures. In their study, the most commonly associated fractures were rib fractures that were found in 52.9% of patients, followed by fractures of the spine found in 29.2% of patients, clavicle fractures found in 25.2% of patients, and pelvis fractures found in 15.3% of patients. Lung and head injuries occurred in 47.1% and 39.1% of the cases, respectively. Moving on to the next question. A 40-year-old man sustains a scapular body fracture after an all-terrain vehicle accident. Which of the following is the most commonly associated injury? And the choices are 1. Chest injury, 2. Clavicle fracture, 3. Glenohumeral dislocation, 4. Humeral fracture, and 5. Axillary nerve injury. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Chest injury. Chest injury, that is a rib fracture, pneumothorax, hemothorax, or contusion, is the most commonly associated injury in patients who have sustained a significant scapular injury. Chest injury becomes even more commonly found when the scapula has more than one zone of injury, for example, multiple fractures. Humeral fracture, clavicle fracture, and axillary nerve injury are not as common as chest injury in the setting of a scapular fracture. Moving on to the next question. The modified Judea approach to the posterior scapula exploits the internervous interval between what two muscles? And the choices are 1. Supraspinatus and infraspinatus, 2. Supraspinatus and subscapularis, 3. Infraspinatus and teres minor, 4. Teres minor and teres major, and 5. Teres major and the latissimus dorsi. The correct answer to this question is 3, infraspinatus and teres minor. 
so the posterior or modified Judea approach to the scapula is typically used for internal fixation of scapular fractures. This approach utilizes a transverse incision over the scapular spine with detachment of the posterior deltoid. The interval between the infraspinatus, which is innervated by the suprascapular nerve, and the teres minor, which is innervated by the axillary nerve, is identified and used to gain access to the posterior aspect of the scapula and glenoid. The reference by Obrameski et al. argues the approach combines several important goals, including one, exposure of all bony elements of the scapula which have adequate bone stock for internal fixation, two, minimal trauma to the rotator cuff musculature, and three, protection of the major neurologic structures that is the suprascapular nerve superiorly and the axillary nerve laterally. They believe the main advantage of the exposure is limiting muscular dissection, which can potentially improve rehabilitation and limit morbidity of the operation. Moving on to the next question, a patient sustains a displaced scapular neck fracture. What is the internervous plane for a posterior approach to the glenohumeral joint? And the choices are one, lateral pectoral and axillary, two, subscapular and musculocutaneous, three, suprascapular and axillary, four, long thoracic and spinal accessory, and five, suprascapular and subscapular. The correct answer to this question is three, suprascapular and axillary. So if you're paying attention to the last question, this should be a home run, but to quickly review, surgical fixation of a scapular neck fracture is performed via the Judea approach, which is a posterior approach to the scapula slash glenoid. The internervous plane, again, is between the infraspinatus, which is innervated by the suprascapular nerve, and the teres minor, which is innervated by the axillary nerve. As outlined by Ball et al., the posterior branch of the axillary nerve has intimate association with the inferior aspects of the glenoid and shoulder joint capsule, which may place it at particular risk during a posterior approach to the shoulder. And moving on to the final question, in trauma patients with multiple injuries, patients with scapula fractures have been shown to have an association with which of the following as compared to patients without a scapular fracture? And the choices are one, increased length of hospital stay, two, increased mortality rate, 3. Increased rate of extremity fracture or fractures, 4. Increased injury severity scores, and 5. Increased length of intensive care unit stay. The correct answer to this question is 4. Increased injury severity scores. So according to the reference by Vasey et al., patients presenting to a trauma center with scapula fractures have an increased rate of pulmonary complications and increased injury severity scores, but have no difference in mortality, length of ICU stay, or overall hospital stay. No differences were seen in abdominal or head injury rates either. A lower rate of extremity fractures was seen as compared to non-scapular fracture patients in their series. According to the study by Brown et al., Rib fractures are the most common associated injury with scapula fractures. That's all for this review about scapula fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you.